0: To 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and once again we will be in verses 7 through 11. I promise next week we'll move on um, and get out of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 7 through 11, and we are once again going to be talking about prophecy. Um, we started this last week, but it was just too much to cover uh, in, in one lesson, so we're going to continue it today. All right, let's our, read our scripture. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7 through 11, Paul says, "...to each is given..." the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, to another faith, to another gifts of healing, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he... Now, the question that we're trying to answer uh, over these two weeks is, what is the gift of prophecy, and how should it work in the church today? Okay, so two questions. What is it, and how is it supposed to, supposed to, to work? We, we read this last week, Acts two fourteen through 21. On the day of Pentecost, we're all familiar with that story. There's 120 people uh, in the upper room, uh, the disciples are there. Jesus' mother is there, Mary. His brothers are there. Uh, 120 people are there. the The Holy Spirit comes. Uh, you remember with a sound like a mighty rushing wind. They all run out into the streets, and they're they're prophesying. They're they're uh, people hear them, and 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 I think 3,000 I think are added to the church on on that day, and and people want to know what's going on. And Peter says this. He says in the last days. It shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. And we said last week, we are in the last days. The last days is not uh, a period of weeks or months. It's an age. The age before Jesus, after Jesus' resurrection and ascension into heaven, and the time that he comes back, that is the last days. This is the last era, the last age that will occur on this earth. We are living in in the last days. And so we are to see prophesying, and we've covered all of this over the last couple of weeks. Now, the question was we asked last week was this. Did Joel, who gave that original prophecy, and Peter, who quoted the prophecy, and Luke, who wrote that prophecy down, did, did they really think that all these people that are going to be prophesying in the last days, men and women, young and old, black, white, man, I mean, everybody, did they really think that those people would be prophets in the same way that Isaiah was a prophet, or Jeremiah was a prophet, or Moses was a prophet? Is that what they, what they really thought? And you see, and we talked about the fact that in the Old Testament... There were only really two types of prophets, right? There was a true prophet and a false prophet. And there was the true prophet of God who basically functioned as a mouthpiece for God. They would stand up and what would the first words out of their mouth be? Thus saith the Lord, right? They were speaking the words of God. As such, they spoke inerrantly and, by the way, they carried the authority of God. When they spoke, you better do it because those were God's words. They, They carried the authority of God. But on the other hand, there were false prophets. And, and there's a great scripture in Jeremiah that explains the difference between a, a, a true prophet and a false prophet. Jeremiah 23:16 says, False prophets speak visions from their own mind, not from the mouth of the Lord. You see, the true prophet is speaking directly from the mouth of the Lord. A false prophet is just coming up with things in his own mind. Those, that's the difference. One is speaking the words of God with the authority of God. The other is speaking just words, whatever he thinks it ought to be. And by the way, that sometimes can even be good intention. I think if God were to speak through me, this is probably what he would say. But it's not the word of God, right? It's just it's coming from his, from his own mind. The problem is when we get to the New Testament, the teaching that we find there regarding prophecy doesn't fit into those two categories nice and neatly. There we find a prophecy that is still prompted and inspired by a revelation from God, but it doesn't carry the same authority that the Old Testament prophecy carried. It just doesn't fit into those two categories. And I know that, that can, for a lot of us that sounds like a contradiction. How can someone be inspired by God to speak, yet their speech actually could possibly contain error? How can that be? I mean, think about that again. How can someone actually be inspired by God to speak, yet their very speech can contain errors and not carry the same authority? Well, to understand that, last week we compared it with the gift of teaching. And we said, you know, wouldn't we all agree that teaching... How many of us would agree that teaching is tremendously valuable to the church? There's probably not a church in this county that you can go to today, well, I won't say not all, but most churches in this county today, somewhere in that church, they're having a Bible study. They're teaching the Bible. Why? Because they, we know how valuable teaching is to the, to the life of a church. But would any of us say that a teacher, even a teacher who is gifted to teach, speaks without error? Would anybody say that? I mean, would anybody say there's a teacher in this county today who's standing up... And and, that, and you know that, that person is gifted to teach, but yet they're going to stand up and teach without error. Of course not. We, we know that. But the question is, why? How, how do we know that? Why do we know that, that teachers are, are teaching and, they're, and they can have error? Well, because a teacher's perception of the Bible... You know, as I stand here today, I said this last week, I am teaching the inerrant, infallible Word of God. Yes or no? There is no errors in this book, and that's what I'm teaching. So how is it my my teaching can possibly be wrong? Because the fact is, as a teacher, and I use my brain and my mind, my perception of this is fallible, right? I don't always perceive it perfectly. I don't always analyze it perfectly. I don't always understand it perfectly, and I sure don't always explain it perfectly. Therefore, teaching is fallible. We understand that, and yet, even though you know that I can possibly stand up here and make mistakes, you still show up every Sunday. And 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 not just for me, but for teachers all, you know, on this on this site right here. There's other teachers teaching classes that people show up. Uh, churches across the county, people are showing up, even though they know those teachers can make mistakes why because we know that teaching is of immense value as imperfect as it is it's still an incredibly valuable gift to the church god is in it god uses it god empowers it god inspires it we know all that and and nobody expects me or any other teacher to be to be infallible see i believe the new testament gift of prophecy is exactly the same or at least very much the same God, through the Holy Spirit, reveals something to the mind of a prophet, uh, some revelation. He, he gives something to that prophet. And by the way, since God never makes a mistake, we know that what he's giving to that prophet is, is true and without error, right? Because God doesn't, God doesn't give him, anything or, or that, him or her anything that, that would have a mistake in it. But just like teaching, the gift of prophecy is subject to the prophet. It's subject to their mind, to their understanding. So it doesn't guarantee that just because God speaks something to somebody, that that person is going to transmit it perfectly to the body or to the congregation. They may perceive it imperfectly. They may understand it imperfectly. And they surely might deliver it imperfectly, okay? So here's my question, and I asked this last week. If if fallible teaching, which is what we're doing here today, if fallible teaching can be of immense value to the body, couldn't fallible prophecy also be just as valuable to the body as well? Even though we know it's not perfect, even though we know it may contain some human error, even though we know it's in need of testing, okay? Now, last week we stopped here and we said, okay, that's what you believe, but can you back it up scripturally? Is that what the scripture teaches? Well, I believe it is. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 13, we've, we've been in this verse several times. Let's read it. 13, 8 through 12, it says this, Love never ends. As for prophecy, they will pass away. The Bible says there's coming a day when the perfect Jesus Christ returns, when we won't need prophecy anymore, we won't need teaching anymore, we won't need knowledge anymore, we won't need tongues anymore. All that stuff passes away when Jesus Christ comes back. But until then, we still have it. And this is what he says right now, until that happens. He says, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Now, look at that term that he says, we prophesy in part. Not fully, not completely, we prophesy in part. Okay, Paul, what do you mean by that? What what do you mean by that? Well, he goes on and tells us exactly exactly what he means by that at the end of that passage. He says, "...for because right now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we'll see face to face. Right now I only know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known." You see, what Paul is saying right there is that the gift of prophecy is not perfect. When he says we prophesy in part, he's saying we don't prophesy perfectly we don 't prophesy with, with full understanding and full revelation and full uh, full uh, anything else it's it's it 's not perfect that 's exactly what he 's saying right here in fact, he describes prophecy and the other gifts as looking in a mirror into a dim or a dark mirror. I was thinking this morning and I got out of the shower I was thinking about think about coming into a bathroom and you come into a bathroom and you're. If you're like me, we got a big mirror over our sinks there. And let's say you come in and the, the lights off, right? Or just maybe you got a night light. You can see yourself in the mirror, right? But but what can you see yourself perfect? Can you see every crack and every line and every wrinkle and every spot? That's why I get ready with the light off most of the time. <laughs> you know, you turn on a bright light, you're like, you know, I go. You ever go to those hotels and they got those big magnifying mirrors? And you just, I hang the towel over that, right? You don't want to see all that. Sometimes looking in a mirror dimly is a good thing. Well, Paul's saying that's what it's like. You don't see everything. You don't get everything. It, or the mirror's fogged up. You know, you can you get out of the shower and you, you, know, you, you take the towel and you, and you wipe off all the fog. You can see yourself, but, but it's, 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 it's in pieces, It's right? That's exactly how he says prophecy is. Everybody see that? That's incredibly important. It's not perfect. It's not a perfect revelation. That, that's how he's describing New Testament prophecy. You see, we are never told in the Bible to test Scripture. You ever notice that? We don't test Scripture to see... Uh, we, can, God can say, test me, right? He can say things like that, but he never says, test my word in that, in that particular way because Scripture is infallible, it's without error. Okay, But we are told in the New Testament to test prophecy. Why? Because it can contain error. There's no guarantee that the Word is going to get from the Spirit of God to the body through a fallible man or woman perfectly. So God said, uh, Paul says, you need to test that. Look at, for example, we are told to test the spirits. 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit... But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. We are to test. And we're going to talk in a minute how do we, how do, we do that. We are told specifically to test and judge prophecy. 1 Corinthians 14, 29. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others do what? Judge it. Judge what they say. 1 Thessalonians five twenty one. Test all things, this includes prophecy and hold fast to what is good. Those words for judging there, are, if you go back and look at the Greek, they mean sift. They mean sift. You, you ever sifted anything? You're trying to get rid of the bad and hold on to the good? Right? That's exactly what it's, he's talking about, that sift him. Okay? Sift it. Get, if it's bad, set it aside, but hold on to what is good. In other words, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You see, what the problem we've got with prophecy in, in, the, in, in, our, in our era today is we've gone one or two ways. We've thrown everything out and said, don't have nothing to do with it. And then too many other people just take everything in. Good and bad, they just... And, and Paul's saying, don't, it's, it's somewhere in the middle, right? Use the gift, but you need to test it. It needs to be held accountable. It needs to be come under some type of accountability. And we'll talk about that later. So what you see here, these are not situations where you have a true prophet and a false prophet. It's not one or the other. These are situations in where prophecy is given, and Paul says, sift it, test it, and hold on to what's good, understanding there's probably going to be some bad. Set that aside. Okay, it's not an either-or situation. Now Let's talk about how would we do this. If, if prophecy, if someone came in today and says, I'm a prophet, and I've got a prophecy for River of Life, and they give a prophecy, are we to test it, yes or no? All right, so let's see how we are to test it. The first test, and I'm going to give you three tests that, that people use that I don't think are necessarily very good, and then I'm going to give you the real test. The first one is what I call the Jesus is Lord test. Now, this comes from 1 Corinthians 12, 3. Paul says, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So let's say somebody walks in today, and they say, uh, uh, I'm a prophet, and, and they stand up, and the first words out of their mouth are, or praise Jesus, Jesus is Lord, can I get an amen? Right? So he has said, Jesus is Lord. Does that mean he's a true prophet? Okay. See, that's a, that's a really common error that too many people make. Some people actually will satisfy themselves that someone is a true prophet just because they get up and say, Jesus is, Jesus is Lord. But we've talked about this back when we went through 1 Corinthians 12. Common sense tells you that a lot of anybody can get up and say Jesus is Lord and not mean it in their heart. It's just words that, that go by. If your only test is whether someone just says Jesus is Lord, let me tell you, you are ripe to be led into deception. Okay, Wolves in sheep clothing will recognize that, that ignorance and that simplicity and they'll take advantage of it. Okay, so you can't just be a church where it's just somebody says, the Oh, Jesus is Lord. Oh, he must be a, he must be a prophet. No, that's, that's not what he's talking about. What Paul is saying there, and we covered this a few weeks ago, to truly say from your heart, from your innermost being, Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is Lord. To acknowledge Him as God, to acknowledge Him uh, as God in the flesh. Paul says you cannot do that except by the Holy Spirit. But it's, a, it's something that comes from your heart, which leads us, by the way, to the next test, which I'll call the fruit test. Okay, this comes from Matthew seven fifteen through 20. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. "...are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their, by their fruits." Now, this can, this can kind of cover a whole myriad of things. Their fruit, someone's fruit, can be their character. It can be their family. It can be their integrity. It can be the fruit of the Spirit in their life. It could be humility. It could be submission to authority. It could be a moral lifestyle. We go on and on and on, right? These are all hallmarks of a life lived with God and, and for God. And, and knowing a person, I've said that before. You know, I said this a few weeks ago. I asked, did you trust me as a teacher? And, and you said, yeah. And I said, why? Well, one of the reasons is time, right? I've been doing this for a long time. One of the reasons is, you know, I come in here every Sunday and I do my best to teach the Bible, And you've seen that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, year after year after year. But the fact is, if I go out this week and cheat on my wife, it's all gone. It's all over. It's done. What's the old saying? It takes a lifetime to build a reputation and one second to destroy it. Right? See, something, not only are you looking at my adherence to Scripture, but you're also balancing my life. You're looking at my family. You're looking at people around me. You're looking at... All, everything comes into it, does it not? It comes into play. And I was saying, if there was a man or woman in our church who had that same reputation, they had that same lifestyle, they had that same integrity and character, and we knew them, I think we would trust them, wouldn't we? Not only in teaching, but in prophecy as well. See, knowing a person in their life makes a big difference. However... However, think about this. Does that mean that we immediately accept prophecy from somebody we know that's got that same lifestyle? Yes or no? Well, of course not. Of course not. See, even that tells us once again that even though this is a good test, it's not a tried and... I mean, it's it's an important test. It's not the only test. You can't just say, well, man, that's, that guy's a great person... He must, you know. Therefore, if he prophesies, it's got to be true. It's not hundred percent. It just doesn't work that way. It's important, but it's not. Uh, it's not the only one. Here's another one that falls kind of in the same line. That's the fulfillment test. This one comes from Deuteronomy eighteen twenty-two. It says this: When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. So the Scripture says if a prophet speaks and it does not come true, if he, if he says this is going to happen and it does not come true, he, ignore that guy. He, he's speaking presumptuously. In other words, out of his own mind, out of his own thinking. He's not speaking the words of, of the Lord. And many people think that this is really the key test, right? Whether a prophet is true or not is regards whether their prophecies come to pass. Now, again, this is another very common error that people make when judging prophecy. It's certainly a valid test, by the way. If If a true prophet of God says something is going to happen, guess what? Will it happen? Yes, it's a true prophet of God. And by the way, if somebody comes into our church or some other place and they keep giving prophecies that fail to come true, guess what? You're probably dealing with a false prophet, right so it's certainly a valid test. true prophecies will come true false prophecies will not that is all true but unfortunately it's a it's a very limited test of prophecy and here's why and by the way it's certainly not the best way to to tell whether a prophecy is valid or not here's why there are a couple of problems with it number one, even in the bible when when prophets when true prophets would uh, prophesy with regard to a future events, they hardly ever give a date, right? They, they give, they, they, they prophesy, and it's always, they rely upon signs or characteristics or circumstances, but they're not date-specific. Let me give you an example, Malachi 4-5. Malachi said this, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. Elijah, uh, so here's Malachi, he prophesies, and he says, This is going to happen. Now, here's the problem with this. If you're living in that day, can you judge him by the fulfillment test? No. Why not? Exactly. four hundred. He didn't say it's going to happen tomorrow. It's, it's very general, right? So Malachi dies. Is he a false prophet? Well, no. We know now he was a true prophet. So you just can't. It doesn't always work that way. Um, uh, so again, 400 years later, this comes to pass. Actually, in the ministry of John the Baptist, Jesus says, "Okay." So, so we know you couldn't judge him. But what if someone prophesies something and it does come to pass? What if somebody gets up and says, "This is going to happen," and and it, actually it happens? See, most of us would just say, "Man, that guy, that guy's a prophet of God. He has passed the passed the test." But you still have to be very cautious. And here's why. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3. Listen to this very closely. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and, he goes on, if that prophet says to you, hey, let's go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, then you don't listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. Okay? Now, watch the next part of it. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So here's a prophecy in the New Testament that a a false prophet gives, right? And the Lord allows it to come to pass to test His people. Okay? Okay? So, now, again, notice the prophecy comes true, but the prophecy is designed to lead people away from the Lord, not to them. Okay, so just because a prophecy comes true doesn't mean that it's necessarily a a, a prophecy from God. So if you only apply the fulfillment test, you're once again setting yourself up for deception. However, what that last passage does do is point us to the one solid and irrefutable test of all prophecy. And that's what I'll call the doctrine test. Notice what that scripture says. If somebody prophesies and it comes to pass, and if that person says, hey, let's come over here and serve these other gods. See, if it's designed to lead you away from the one true God, then it doesn't matter whether it comes to pass or not, he says. You see, what always matters... You see, in in that Old Testament passage... The Holy Spirit, I think, is pointing out for us the type of false doctrine that's typically evident within false teaching and false prophecy. And that is, they will always say things that lead you away from the one true God. They'll always attempt to lead you away into idolatry. By the way, the New Testament says the same thing. 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 2. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in the later times... Some will depart from the faith. They'll leave the faith, right? They'll leave the one true God. Why? By devoting themselves to deceitful spirit and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose, whose consciousness are seared. See, there are people that are trying to always lead you away from God, lead you away from the one true faith. And sometimes they can even do that through prophecy that, that comes to pass. Let me tell you, will a true prophet acclaim Jesus as Lord? Yes or no? Will a true prophet bring forth good fruit in their life? Absolutely. Will a true prophet's predictions come to pass? Yes, those are all true. But it turns out that the real, valid, irrefutable test of prophecy, now listen to me, is the exact same one you would use every day in here when I teach. It turns out that the real test of prophecy is the exact same one you use with teaching. The key thing to identify within prophecy or teaching is the content of the doctrine, the content of the teaching. What is that prophecy saying? Okay? It, I mean, that, it always comes back. You've got to listen to what it to what it says. I want to I read a scripture here, and I reread this this week, and I just I really meditated on this for a while. Jesus stands up one day and he's talking to his disciples, he says, I'm going to go away, okay? But when I go away, I'm going to send somebody to you. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send a helper. And this, and this is what Jesus says. Listen to him very closely. He's describing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he says this, And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come, and He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. He says four things there. He will, He will, He will, He will. He will convict the world concerning sin. He will guide you into the truth. He will declare to you the things to come, and He will glorify Me. Those are four things Jesus tells us the Spirit of God will do in His ministries. Now, I want to give you a quick bullet list on those things, okay? This is what the Holy Spirit's ministry is all about. Jesus, the first one is holiness, righteousness, and judgment, okay? The Holy Spirit will bring conviction for sin, and He will address issues of judgment and righteousness. Listen, go back to the Old Testament and examine the messages of the prophets, Go read Isaiah, go read Jeremiah, go read Ezekiel, go read Malachi, okay? And you'll notice over and over again, they're addressing the exact same thing. You know, sometimes their messages, yes, they're saying these are things to come. But do you know what? 90% of the time, what are they doing? They are calling the people of Israel to what? repent, repent, repent. They're dealing with sin, they're dealing with righteousness, they're dealing with judgment over and over and over and over again, right? See, the prophets themselves were holy men of God. The book of Hebrews tells us that. It says, in the past days, God spoke to us through the holy men of God, but in these days, He's spoken to us through His Son. Those holy men of God, therefore, their doctrine and their messages were constantly geared toward holiness or promoting holiness before a, a holy God. By the way, they did that today. They're going to still do it today. That, because why? Because that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit hasn't changed, has He? He ain't saying, well, you know, I, I got to work different. These people today are... No, no. He still, Jesus said when He comes, He's going to convict people of sin. He's going to deal with righteousness and judgment. If, if these are gifts of the Holy Spirit, prophecy, and they're in, in the work in the church today, they're going to work the same way. But here's the problem. If any of you have ever been... I've been in services where people got up and prophesied over people. Any of y'all? I can probably count on one finger the amount of times I've heard people called out for sin in their life. Anybody? I mean very, very seldom. You see, what happens is false prophets will actually... And they'll do this very subtly. But instead of convicting sin in somebody's life... They will encourage sin. Well, how do they do that? Well, one way they do it is they talk about blessings. It's always about blessings. I, I, let's say I'm in a service and I got sin in my life. I'm I'm, I'm 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 doing something. I'm watching pornography and nobody knows about it. Or I've got I'm having an affair. Or I'm cheating. Um, I'm cheating on my taxes. I'm doing something. I got I got some stuff going on in my life. And I go get in a line to be prophesied over, and that prophet says, "Boy, Derek, God loves you, and he—he's—I want you to know he's going to bless you." Everybody with me? And I walk back to my seat. Now, what what's the message to me? God doesn't care. That was a prophet of God, and and he just overlooked all that, folks. That's not the Holy Spirit. You telling me that the holy—that's how the Holy Spirit works? See, I'm telling you, Jesus said when he comes, he'll deal with sin. So we should expect true prophets of God to deal with our sin. That doesn't mean he's got to call it out, but he can very simply say to me, the Lord says, you know, everybody, you know what I'm saying, right? See, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said that's what his ministry is going to look like. So I'm telling you, when we see immoral people being given an ear, and by the way, that includes us. When we know we got things in our life, and somebody gives us one of them little ear tickling prophecies over us and telling us how, listen, you, your radar should go straight up and say this ain't right. Something's not something's not right about that. When a person is never warned about sin in their life, because Jesus said to them, the Holy Spirit, that's what He will do. Does everybody see that? This is His ministry. That is a very likely indication that they may, might be a false prophecy. Truth. Jesus said, when He comes, He will guide you into all truth. What is truth? Jesus said, your word is truth. The Holy Spirit will guide us into the the word. In contrast, false prophecies will try to lead us away from what? The truth. It will try to lead you uh, towards idolatry, away from the word of God. Um, By the way, this includes things like the love of money. Colossians 3.5 says the love of money is what? Covetousness is idolatry. See, false prophecy will encourage us that this is okay. Come on over here. He tries to get us away from the faith, get us away from the one, the one true God. The third thing, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Okay? Jesus said, He will glorify me. The Holy Spirit will always lift up Jesus. He'll always glorify Jesus. He'll talk about His death. He'll talk about the cross. He'll talk about the resurrection. He'll talk about the fact that He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He'll talk about the fact that He's sovereign. He will glorify Jesus. He will proclaim. Go back to Acts 2. Go back to Acts 2 and you read that again. When they came out in the streets, it said they were prophesying. And do you know what they were doing? proclaiming the mighty works of God. That's what they were doing. That's what the Holy Spirit will do through prophecy. So, so number one, he will convict sin. He will deal with righteousness and judgment. Uh, number two, he will, guide. he will never say anything that's out of line with this word. Never. No way, shape, or form. It's always going to be in line with this word, and it's going to turn us back to this word. Number three, it's going to be about Jesus. Over and over and over again. On the other hand, keep in mind false prophecies—they'll glorify anybody and anything other than Jesus. Okay. For example, a man or woman may glorify themselves. I was uh, doing some research this week, and I went back and watched some videos of Todd Bentley. Everybody know who Todd Bentley is—the guy down in Orlando. Lord have mercy. The the man—it was all. Go back and read. It's all about him, what he's done, what he's seen, where he's been. His experience is over. It was just all—I mean, it was horrible, and and it, it wasn't glorifying God. God was a side player in that in that prophecy or in those in those stories. They'll lift themselves up. They may glorify the hearer. That's a real good one, right? False prophets always will glorify the person they're prophesying to. How great you are! How God loves you! How much He's going to bless you! It's all about man. You walk away from there thinking, man. I mean, I'm, I'm really special, you know. I, I'm really great. They also may glorify some something they're selling. They may glorify some revelation they've received. You know, I've received a revelation. I wrote it down by my book. They're gonna, they're gonna do, it's gonna be something other than Jesus. As long as it's not Jesus, again, they'll glorify anything or anybody which will turn our attention away from Jesus and, and on towards something else. Now, the last one, telling. Now, you cannot get away from this, okay? Prophecy is not all about foretelling, but look at what Jesus said. He, who's he talking about? Holy Spirit will declare to you things to come. Did he say it or not? Those are the words of Jesus. He will tell you things to come, okay? There will be a future-oriented content to the Holy Spirit's message. It's not an absolute, right? Prophecy is not all about telling the future, because we just seen He's going to address sin. He's going to address righteousness. He's going to address judgment. He's going to guide us into the truth. He's going to lift up Jesus. Those are all huge parts of prophecy, but one part of it will deal with with forth telling or or future telling. It will be an aspect of of prophecy. Now, I want to close with this. Now, we're not done, by the way, with prophecy, because... In chapter 14, Paul's going to bring it all up again. So we've still got a lot to talk about, about prophecy. How should it work in, in the church today? Paul's going to talk about that in, uh, in, in chapter 14. So we'll be coming back to it. But I do want to address this this morning. We, we said this last couple of weeks. There are really three categories of people, categories of churches when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, especially the sign gifts. We talked about on one, on one end of the spectrum is the cessationists, right? And what do they say? It's all over. It's seized. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got charismatics who they tend to... And again, this is, this is a very general... But they tend to kind of... They kind of accept that, you know, put a big arm around everything. Just come on in, you know? A lot of the good and the bad, and just come on in. And then in the middle, you've got people who look at the Scripture and you say, from Scripture, I know it should be in the church today, but yet we're very cautious because we've seen so much of the bad. So we tend to be, to be very cautious. And we're going to talk about that. And here's one thing. If I'm in the middle, okay? I don't like being in the middle, to be honest with you. Should I be going toward the cessationist, or should we be moving the other way? I want you to think about that. Which way should we be, should it be going? Huh? Well, yeah, I'm, a, I'm an intro. There's no doubt about that. But the thing is, see, I think you'll see here in just a minute, Paul tells us, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that what you may prophesy. See, I think we need to be inching toward the other way, but we need to do it the right way. The right way, okay? Now, I want to talk about that real quickly here, about the next four or five minutes. Why is the gift so misused? Okay, Why is the gift so misused? I think there is a tendency when prophecy begins to operate in a a body, there's a tendency to overestimate its role in the Christian life. And again, this can be true of any spiritual reality, but I think it's especially true of prophecy. You see, we look at prophecy and think, man, if God is really speaking through people, if he's really speaking through her or him, then surely this has to be the way to know His will for my life. You see this in, in, in a lot of charismatic churches. If, 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 you, if prophecy is real, then this has to be the way He wants to communi- communicate His will for my life. Should I marry? Should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should I buy this house? And, and everybody with me? What's the easiest way to figure it out? Well, just have that prophet tell me, right? And pretty soon, people begin to forsake this. They begin to forsake wisdom, they begin to forsake reason, and they just rely on prophecy for for everything. And the next thing you know, they're running around, God told me this, God told me that, I got to do... And they've completely forsaken the Bible, they've forsaken wisdom, reason, all those other things, and they've relied on prophecy. And by the way, the enemy loves that. The enemy loves that, and he will encourage that because he knows it's leading us in the wrong direction. And by the way, and when that type of thinking pervades the church, the wolves come out. They can smell it miles away. And here they come, right? Because Jesus said, I mean, Paul said, there are men who think godliness is a way to make money. So Paul said, there are men who think godliness is a way to make money, and they will smell that a mile away. And and that is extremely dangerous. Now, by the way, if this all sounds ugly and messy, and complicated. And you think, you know what, it would be so much simpler if we just put it aside, right? Which a lot of people have done. Paul's got a word for you. First Thessalonians five nineteen 19-22. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecy. Test all things and hold on to what's good. See, basically he says, if we... Go the other way, and we despise it. And by the way, there is a tendency to despise it because of the bad. He said, if you do that, you're quenching the Spirit. Don't do that. On the other hand, he said, test it and hold on to what's good and set aside what is bad. He goes on. Listen to some of these other things he said. 1 Corinthians 14, 7. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Why? Why does he say that? Well, in 14:3 he says this, because the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and their encouragement and their consolation. See, the fact is, like teaching, yes, prophecy can have error. The people that are giving it are not perfect. It can cause issues and problems in the church that have to be dealt with. By the way, was there problems in Corinthian church with this? Big problems, right? That and tongues were giving them tons of issues. It was messy. It was ugly. And still, Paul says, it's worth it. Even with all that, Paul says it's worth it. Okay, and that's—I mean—it's so much easier in us and our human nature to step inside and say, "Let's don't deal with that. Let's just set that aside." Paul says, "Don't do that," because what's good in it is really, really, really good. It's worth dealing with all the mess to get down to that. And we're, again, we're not done with it. We'll come back in in a, in a few weeks, and when we get to chapter fourteen, and we'll kind of pick this subject uh, back up uh, again. But for next week, we will move on. Let's pray, Father.